Hey Northview, Lexi here. Thank you for joining us for our fourth episode of In Good Company. Today we will be discussing one of our viewers' questions about science and creation. Let's join Jesse, Greg, and Josh. Thanks Lexi for handing it over to us. Uh, welcome to In Good Company. We are going uh, to explore another question that you, the viewers, have sent in. And this one uh, goes a little something like that. Thank you, Lexi. Hi, I've been reading so many books on dinosaurs with my kids. I want to know how the existence of dinosaurs fits in with creation. It's a good question. It's Great a question. question. So, brought me uh, back to Alberta. I lived in Alberta for a little bit. To the land of milk and honey. Yes, absolutely. Are you absolutely. an Alberta guy? I was, yeah, Jasper, I was raised there. Jasper. That's right. Wow. Okay, wait, this is something the viewers need to know. You were in Jasper, and you had a pastor named Casper. <laughs> no, no, That's... I had a, almost, according to Jeff's version of the story. But oh, I had a pastor in Jasper. So there's... <laughs> it was not named Casper. It wasn't? No, it's not. Oh, it's not Casper. okay. Jeff's version. Okay, back to dinosaurs, <laughs> yes, guys. Thank you. Um, Sorry. So when we lived in Alberta, one of our favorite things to do was go to the Royal Tyrell Museum, in Drumheller, where all of the dinosaurs currently still mm -hmm. live, the ones that are, well, they're dead. They're just their bones, <laughs> but it's good. Um, and so we have some pictures of that, just because I want to show off how amazing this place is. Lexi, can you throw these pictures up? That is amazing. Woolly mammoth, I believe. Uh, next one. Not very woolly anymore. That is the head of a large dinosaur um, with several teeth. And this last one, <laughs> yeah, I don't actually know what that is either. But um, that one looks I want like to stay here. From, uh, stay here for a second. From Star Wars. Potentially, yes. Like he wears the... That's fine. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> so here's the young kid. He's looking at uh, some dinosaur bones. Is this your kid? This is my kid. His All name's right. Maverick. Yeah, he's looking he's very in inquisitive. He's trying to touch it, but it's behind glass, so he can't. <laughs> um, but on that sign, it says uh, that this particular dinosaur was uh, around and uh, millions of, of years ago. Mm. So uh, as a, a little guy, a curious little guy, he comes up to me and he says, Dad, what does this, what does this sign mean? Mm -hmm. What do you say to inquisitive young boy about dinosaur bones? I would say, son, um, th there's all sorts of sci science around um, different opinions about the beginning, um, but I encourage you to, as you grow up, to explore it. Um, but one of the places that you will want to look is Genesis chapter 1, where God lays out for us how he created the world um, and the purpose mm -hmm. for which he created his world. So I would point him both to the scripture, and I would, I would not want to impose on him what I think. I would want him to explore it for the rest of his life. Mm. I would probably, similar, a bit of a nuance probably to what Joshua would say, I would, I would still encourage him to, to look into it and to uh, you know, try to figure out for himself what he thinks. I would probably not direct him towards Genesis 1 to answer any kind of the questions regarding the dinosaurs. Um, I would definitely affirm uh, you know, anything that we can see or not see, anything that's existed, God has created. Um, and then if we want to answer questions about things like dinosaurs, we I would probably direct them to, you know, other studies of, I guess that'd be paleontology. and Sure. So you would steer um, my kid towards the Bible. You would steer him away from the Bible. That's, well, is that basically that's, the gist that's of right. what? That's a, is, kind yeah. of Greg's motif. Yeah. I would, if, okay. if the question was about dinosaurs, yes. I would not direct your son to the Bible. I would direct your son yes. to the Bible to talk about God being the creator of everything. Yes. But in terms of answering the question that you actually asked, 
yeah. about how do we talk about you don't think Genesis one is the place to go. I would well, and, I and, and let me, I'll, I'll jump on that. I agree with Greg. Uh, when it comes to the dinosaur question in particular, it doesn't come up in Genesis. So, so I wouldn't point him there to say let's let's find the Tyrannosaurus Rex yes. on Genesis, in Genesis three. I wouldn't do that. Um, but, Beasts of the field, man, it's right there. It's like, <laughs> right. one of them. Come on. That's right. But to your, you, you brought up the point of the. It says it's three million years old. Yeah. And and that is where I would say look to the scripture. There is there is conversation to be had around Genesis one about the age of the earth. Yeah. That's what I would say. And I know you're curious of what I said to my son, and I just Absolutely. told him dinosaurs don't exist. So <laughs> that was good. Um, your answers to my question are, are a little different, right? One of you seems to be leaning more towards there the are more answers we can get from Genesis one than yes, exactly. <laughs> How does that inform our discipleship, though? The way that you're viewing, the way yeah. Scripture speaks towards uh, science and, and scientific things or discoveries, how does that inform our, our discipleship to Jesus? One of the really important things um, for us to note is I think Greg and I agree, I think all, probably all of us agree, that when you come to Genesis 1, there's a particular purpose that the author has in recording it um, mm. and God has in inspiring it. And that is that God is the creator. God is the creator of all things, whether it's the water, it's the, it's the land, it's, the, it's human beings, that, that God created all things. He is the final author and all things are accountable to him for such a, uh, because of that. Mm. So we would agree that's kind of the purpose of it. You can, you can zoom in on day six and creation of mankind in God's image. You can zoom in on day seven and God resting. There's, there's all sorts of conversations to be had around there. Mm. Um, when it, but when it comes to our discipleship of Jesus, what, what, we're, what you're kind of probing into is the fact that we disagree, or it seems like we disagree, that I, I would point people oh, to the disagree. Bible. That's right. We, yeah, we disagree at least <laughs> off camera. We have. So, that's right. Up to this point, we've disagreed. Yeah. I would say there is room to look to Genesis 1 for information, for uh, that there's value there to understand the way the world was formed and created and its age. And I mm. think the value of that in our discipleship is that God has, has so marvelously and brilliantly authored his word in such a way that it can be searched, in such a way that it can be studied and discovered and found out. And he records that names of tribes are recorded and people groups. And then years later, we find inscriptions yep. of those people groups. And mm. he's not just willy-nilly throwing things together. Willy-nilly, that's a great willy -nilly. term. Willy-nilly. Yeah, it's a really important term. Thank you. Um, <laughs> technical Okay, let, me, let me cut you off, Greg. Yeah, I, off. I, want, I want you to disagree with that a little bit. So where I would disagree with you is when you bring up the... Willy-nilly disagree. Nilly-willy. When you talk about the age of the earth in particular yeah. as something that you would be yeah. looking to Genesis for. I think that the... I would agree that the Bible is something that we should search and examine and study and figure out what's there and what it's trying to communicate. We both totally. agree on it's that. True. I think Absolutely. my... Uh, nuance, my, my differentiation from you would be about, I think we will sometimes impose questions on the Bible that the Bible has no intention of answering. Mm -hmm. And so we come to it with our own perspectives, our own um, ideas and things that make sense in our culture or things that we value trying to figure out in our particular context. And we ask those questions of, of the, the passage. So just for sake of clarity, Joshua, you would hold to a young earth creationist perspective? Yeah, I would. For, for both biblical reasons of how I interpret Genesis 1, but also for the way that I see the science. Uh, to me, it, the evidence is most compelling for that position. Okay. Interesting. And you, Greg, would hold to a... A view of creation? Yeah. I, I don't... 
like actually hold with any kind of conviction or particular viewpoint. Just a good He just doesn't have conviction. Yeah, just a <laughs> I, have, yeah. I have convictions about scripture. Yeah, uh, but, not. But I have... <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing, is that I actually think that the Bible is going to be talking about the things that the scriptures are intending to speak on. This, I think the scientific process is going to answer scientific questions, and I don't necessarily see a need to, to make the Bible speak to the scientific question. So one way I've, I've talked about this before is that I hold to the doctrine of creation as a conviction. What, what we mean in Christian theology of the doctrine of creation, that God did it, right. it's good, uh, all of that. I don't hold to a particular creationism of young earth, old earth. Uh, I, I'm happy to go where the science points in that direction. Like a lukewarmish type of thing. kind, yeah. kind of. I mean, I think I'm not alone in being <laughs> sorry, the only sorry. one in I the know, Christian church that. who has a bit of an agnostic stance yeah. on the on the the creationism yeah. of if it's young or old. I think a lot of people care, which is great, and I think a lot of people are okay to yeah. not have a, a conviction on that particular issue. But I think what that shows is that we we come to this topic with kind of two different starting points in terms right. of how we understand the scriptures and science and how they work together. So lots going on here. It feels like we've run at an incredible rate through <laughs> this it's kind true. of point in our conversation. And, and one I want to hone in on is this. What then is, is Genesis 1? How yeah. does it inform our understanding of, of science? Like, so, so right. you're, and that's, I picked up on, on your answer there, yeah. that you're like, not really. Like, like fair? Fair. Okay. And you are, no, there's significant implications of Genesis 1 and our understanding of science. So let's bring in, we have uh, theories of, of evolution and age of universe and all these yeah. kinds of things. How, how do we as Christians navigate science well? Mm -hmm. well, well, first of all, first of all, we need to say that where Greg and I disagree, uh, we, we also would agree that, that it's not something that will define our salvation in any way. It is not something that even, uh, even... You asked the question about our discipleship of Jesus. I, I don't think it's so critical that, that I'm going to be a better follower of Jesus for holding one particular position of Genesis more so than Greg for holding a different one. I think that's really important to say. Out there. I think Sorry. I'm better. <laughs> <laughs> there are significant implications to be drawn from the Genesis account for yeah. our understanding of science. The fact of God's, the way that it is expressed that God creates. So he creates by his own word, by the power mm -hmm. of his word, on the first day, and, and the way the language of the text draws out to say that there was evening and there was morning. In my view, I see those things as being quite plainly just a description of, of day by day. He's creating. He's magnificently yeah. creating something out of nothing. Yeah. I, think, I think it's, to me, it seems clear. And, but I come with a particular presuppositions to the text in that sense. I'm not, I wouldn't argue that it's the main purpose of the text. Yeah. But I do mm. think that those markers are there to give us a sense of, yeah, this is, this is there. So, and, and uh, you, you said... I come to the text with some, some presuppositions. Absolutely. And one of those presuppositions might be um, that you would take Genesis 1, you would, you would give it a genre, and maybe that would be that it would be more historical or, or more, yeah, than, than maybe what Greg would, would consider it. Probably. Yeah? So yeah, I mean, if I he calls it, if he views it as a bit of a, a historical narrative, what would, you, what would you classify it as? Yeah, I mean, I would probably... A comedy. <laughs> right. myth? myth? You go with myth. I'm not going with myth. I, I would go with an ancient Near Eastern cosmology, which sounds pretentious and sounds like I'm trying to dodge, yeah. dodge the answer, but yeah. I'm not. I, like, I think what we have in Genesis chapter 1 is something very different from the kind of 
literature that we would anticipate uh, answering questions about the hows of creation. I think it's I think it's focused on different questions. I think it's focused more on the who. I think it's focused more on the why. Definitely it addresses the what, but I think it's it's not addressing the how in the same way that we, in our particular moment, want it to answer. And so mm-hmm. I would say it's it would read more naturally in the first audience than it does for us in terms of getting at the questions that people were asking at the right. time. So I think one of the big things that we see in this passage just to kind of play out the ancient Near Eastern cosmology piece yeah. is that we don't have a creation that comes about by any, any act of violence, by any act of rivalry between gods. There's no pantheon of gods. There's, there's, there's one God yeah. who creates not, not out of another God or out of a conquest battle or anything like that. We have a God who creates by his word, who comes to the nothingness and brings a somethingness. And that's, that that's remarkable. It's mm-hmm. it's it's everything that can be seen and can't be seen that exists exists because God made it to be yeah. so. Right. We could probably go back and forth on a whole bunch of different arguments of why why we hold our position mm. differently. But but one of the things that has come up in our conversations in the past is is the discussion around concordism and non-concordism. Yeah. So concordism to say that 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 the Bible Scripture has a seat at the table in scientific conversation. Yes. Right, so to say, and this would be my position, I would say that it, it may not be a significant seat. I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna say that um, this is the only thing to look at is Genesis 1, forget everything else, but, but to say that when I come to Genesis 1, I see something that provides for me mm-hmm. presuppositions which I should bring to the table of science. Whereas you hold a non-concordist position to say that actually they sit at separate tables. They're, it's at the kids' table at like Thanksgiving. That's right, like, that's, which yeah. one, science or the? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that so I think that's an important note to make. So so why, Greg, um, do yeah. you hold to a non-concordist position, and how does that impact your understanding of Scripture and Genesis? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the the non-concordist viewpoint is that I, I would hold that viewpoint because I think we have to deal with fields of study and with um, communication acts in the way that they're intended to be studied. And so I see the realm of science and um, you know, paleontology, archaeology, geology, all that kind of stuff are, are uh, departments on a university campus. Hmm. And biblical literature is also on the campus. So there are things to learn from each of those campuses depending on what they're trying to talk about. And so my, the non-concordist argument is basically saying if, if the intention of the department is on a particular thing, don't it doesn't have to be forced into other departments sure. in order for it to be valid and real. So we, we hold to the same doctrine of scripture. Right. Absolutely. So there's nothing different in how we <laughs> in how we view scripture as trustworthy yeah. and true and authoritative it's just and not sufficient. About but I don't think when it <laughs> yeah. comes to science, yeah. I just don't I don't think that's what it's trying right. to address. It's not intending. So to let go me there. let me bring up something about that. So I, I am of the viewpoint that um, no one scripture, asked you what you want. I just, <laughs> no one cares. No one cares. But I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> Uh, I'm of the viewpoint that scripture actually teaches ancient science. And so you see that in, in the Psalms and in the Genesis account, that what is being described is to your, what you called mm-hmm. ancient Near East cosmology, is a world of, of how uh, the early, the Israelites would have, would have seen and understood the world to function. Uh, so how does that then, how, how can we trust in a book? 
right. that, or and you might disagree with, with that, right? But how do we trust in a book that that says that that our, our Earth has foundations that we know we're floating in in space? How do we wrestle that, or that the sun goes around? It's like, well, no, actually, the Earth is rotating. So, how do we trust in a book that that makes false scientific claims? Yeah, I mean, I would say I don't. I think to say that the Bible is teaching an ancient scientific yeah. viewpoint mm -hmm. is overstating what's nice. being done there. Yeah. I think it's the Bible is reflecting the the views yeah. of the time. Right. The accommodation. Right. Because it's going how else could a human author yeah. talk about issues and topics without actually using the language and the ideas of, of the time? Yeah. It's, so I think to to, to change kind of what you're saying a little bit is that yeah. I, I don't actually think it's trying to teach anything scientifically to say this is how things are. Um, I think it's, ref it's, it's using the language of the culture yeah. in its description of something bigger and something, it, the appeals to the sun and the appeals to these other things are always used in illustrative or, yeah. or as a metaphor for talking about something else. Yeah. Sure. So I, I, I don't think it's, I'm trying to teach something, but even even though it appeals to that, that doesn't that that's fine. It's all that good. doesn't bother yeah. me because I think it's appealing to uh, the viewpoints that would have been held at the time that it was being written. So yeah. so that's just my convictions about the Bible being yeah. fully percent, fully one hundred percent divine, yes, and also one hundred percent human. Yeah, and we can't expect the human author yeah to be transcultural yeah. or a cultural. Sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Would you agree kind of with no, that? No, absolutely. Yeah. I'd agree with that 100%. 100%. You agree with that. Mind. I do. But then you want it to have a voice at the table with Well, see, because I, because I think we're, we're, talking about different, <laughs> we're talking about different things. When you're talking about uh, the accommodation of, of historical description, so like Joshua, the sun stands still. We know that the sun's actually not moving anyway. Mm -hmm. the, the earth is standing still. It's an accommodation uh, to human language and to human understanding of what's going on, what we're seeing around us, to, so that in the future we can look back and say, I know what they're getting at because it's very plainly, under, plainly explained. Now, I, I think the same thing is true of, of Genesis, that it's just being simply plainly explained to us in a way that is naturally understood. Day by day, God creates. When it says the sun stands still in Joshua, I don't take that to mean, well... You know, it could be some, it could be just some, he's not intending to say the sun, that, that the earth actually stopped. He's just trying to get at that it felt like a long day. I don't go there because I actually think there was something that actually happened within that particular framework that, that they described in the way they did. And so when I look at Genesis, I think something happened within that particular framework and that being day by day, I think it's just plainly explained to us. I don't have to try and whisk it away. I think it's just his history being described. So I think, uh, I think underneath this conversation, this is a good conversation, by the way, um, <laughs> if I can say so myself. <laughs> That's right. Well, that I'm you. a part of. Weird. You're also in good company, by yeah. the way. Um, the, the comment I would there is, is how do we interpret Scripture? What lens yeah. do we bring to it, right? We often come to Scripture and seek to interpret it literally. Um, so what the text says is that's what the meaning of it is, right? Um, and I think this is a, a fun thing to know when to do that and when not to do that. And, and there is a, a downfall in interpreting Scripture literally in every single instance because there's mm -hmm. passages of Scripture that weren't meant to be taken literally. Mm -hmm. Or even, I just think of the words of Jesus as he was uh, sharing parables and talking, whether it was to Nicodemus or the woman at the well. Mm -hmm. He said things to them that they took literally and they missed the point of right. what he was getting at, yeah. right? And so how would... Obviously, you guys see it, see a bit of a different genre going on in Genesis 1. And, and Greg, maybe speak to your her hermeneutic then. If you're not taking it literally, what, what guides you in, in, in understanding or interpreting the text? Mm -hmm. I think 
the goal of of the art of reading the Bible is trying to to figure out where the author is trying to take you on the journey that they're actually bringing you along on. Sure. And so, regardless of what the genre is, uh, or not regardless, but in with the genre of scripture in mind, reading it to try to figure out what is the author trying to communicate is yeah. is the guiding principle that I try to use. And so, I think when we um, if we try to fill in the gaps with historical information that we might not really have, yeah. that's where you can kind of build entire theories that aren't actually trying to be communicating the text. But that's where I actually think we're similar in this. Like I think our hermeneutic approach would yeah. be very similar in trying to figure out the intent of the author. Yeah. That's why I, yeah, I'm I just, I'm, I'm so interested in why we have a disagreement then. Because yeah. I, I don't understand why because he's from Alberta. <laughs> that's, right. that's, that's a Jasper thing. So let's let's talk about so these two different um, taking scripture. Literally, let, the example you brought up was the sun standing still. Yeah. So either that literally happened, or that's the author was just putting in uh, an just felt a like a literature long device day. that that yep. making right that, that it just felt like a long day. What are the pitfalls of leaning towards one of these hermeneutics to the extreme? T- mm. Talk to us a little bit. Maybe, Greg, speak to the, the more metaphorical, spiritual, allegorical type interpretations. That what, what are the dangers of going too far down that path? I think if you are interpreting a particular piece of genre outside of what it actually is, you're going to be making interpretation mistakes. Yeah. So if I take the Gospels and I treat it as wisdom literature or yes. as poetry, yeah. right, then I'm, I'm totally. just not being a good reader. Yeah. Yeah. Like if right? the Sermon on the Mount is just a neat saying and doesn't, right. yeah, for so sure. I think Huge errors. as, as a, someone who's going to try to be a responsible reader yeah. and try to treat the author fairly, I'm yeah. going to try to read what they wrote in the way it was intended to be read. Nice. And that's mm. basically, I think, what the goal of hermeneutics is, yeah. is right. trying to get down to what they're trying to... to yeah, to, to yeah, communicate. Joshua, what would you say would be some dangers of a hyper-literal Yeah, hermetic? I mean, those, those dangers are pretty self-evident when you think of if, if concordism at its, at its basic is just bringing the Bible to the table of science, then taking it too far is having the Bible overrule the science. That I'm actually willing to, to say, well, that science, of, which has maybe gone through all sorts of different processes, but if that's there, I have to reckon with it. But I'm taking it, taking a concordism view too far would be to say, I'm, I'm not even going to pretend that's real yeah. right now because I believe the Bible and that's getting in the way of my worldview. Yeah. Right. So that, that would be the hyper, the hyper problem yeah. uh, on that side. And, and to allow, um, allow the, the intent or to take the intent of the author to where it's not. I mean, this is where mm-hmm. we agree is that the intent of the author of Genesis 1 is not to give us a fully well-rounded cosmology. Yeah. Um, however, well, so in, and so if if you were to take it to do so, would be to to not do justice to the sure. to the author, right? You you would then base your whole Christian claims upon that one thing, yeah. Mm. And that was never the author's intention to do so. Yeah. So uh, there's room to have a to have a brother in the faith who doesn't believe in that, but who still holds to the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and yeah. you can have brotherly fellowship without dividing yeah. Yeah. over that. Yeah, I think sure. we're actually really close. I think we're, shoot, we're very the close. only the only thing that really <laughs> makes a difference. But but seriously, I think yeah. the thing that makes a difference for the for the listeners' question about how do we handle the dinosaur stuff, yes. with the Bible, and creation. The real question of right yeah. is I as I think like 
you would you would say that I think the Bible should inform those conversations. Yeah, it ha- it has a seat at the table. And I would say sense. that I think because it's not the Bible, and particular in Genesis one, because yeah. Genesis one's not trying to answer those questions. I would say, look, I think Christians should feel a freedom yeah. to pursue fields of studies like archaeology, like geology, like yeah. paleontology, and they can go down that road, and they still need to maintain the cores of what Genesis 1 teaches, which yeah. is there is a God, and He created the world, and everything exists because He's the one who made it. Yeah. And they can hold to that theological truth and at the same time pursue their scientific endeavors as, yeah. as Christians. And so for the, for the, the uh, questioner, like if your yeah. children are really interested in dinosaurs and that is an interest that perpetuates for them. Yeah. I would say like you can encourage them to get into that field of study yeah. and you can still root them in the word, still root them in, in the truths of scripture and in, yeah. in the doctrines of the church. And don't, don't make it a competition between yeah. your, your theological beliefs and the scientific world, yeah. right? And yeah. realizing too that science is by its very nature a, a theory-based mm-hmm. enterprise. It's, sure. it's always saying this is what we think based on what we know now is the best explanation for, for things. And yeah. I'm all for encouraging Christians to pursue those fields of studies and not feeling the pressure to say, well, if I hold this particular view on this scientific matter, that means I'm now disregarding the authority of Scripture. I, I don't, yeah. I don't think people right. need to feel that way. Yeah. And that's the, I think, the greatest strength yeah. of non-concordism is it lets the scientific department yeah. at the University of Knowledge to do its thing, yeah. while the theological department at the University of Knowledge does its thing. Yeah. And there are places in the common areas where they're going to have really interesting conversations. But at yeah. the end of the day, what they determine is good and true in that department doesn't yeah. necessarily uh, disprove yeah. what's happening at the theological department. I think one, one thing I'd like to add is just a historical example as, as you to tack on what mm-hmm. you said is to think of the, just the, the dangers of holding our scientific beliefs and, and propping them up to, to, to the likeness of, of what we believe about Christ or, or some of these other primary mm-hmm. doctrines. And mm-hmm. you think of, of uh, historically Galileo, he, he had a different view than the church mm-hmm. on exactly what was the center of the, the universe or not the universe, but of our solar system. Mm. Um, was it Earth? Was it the sun? And he, he received a lot of flack um, for, for, for thinking differently. Yeah, and and a lot of the it. argument... Yeah was that he was going away from the historical teaching of the church and primarily what, what is revealed in scripture. Mm. So what might that uh, historical moment teach us just today with regards to scientific beliefs, holding mm-hmm. scientific mm-hmm. beliefs, pursuing science, and yet submitting to the authority of God's yeah. word? Mm. I think you, you brought up a really important little side note there. You were talking about the, the distinction between this and holding to something like the deity of Christ. Uh, there's a term that we use sometimes uh, theological triage, that there are certain things, like triage the idea when somebody comes into a hospital, there are certain injuries that are more important than the next one to deal with, right? Yeah. If you've got a bloody nose and yeah. I've got a shattered femur. Dude, that's important. That's right. <laughs> deal, with, deal with my femur first. Yeah. Uh, they'll do that. And so as Christians, we actually need to be able to mm. understand that there are theological doctrines of more significant than, of significance than the next, Yeah. right? Um, you have Paul at the end of 1 Corinthians 15 saying, these things are of first importance. And he's talking about the gospel. And so in the, in the first category, you've got things like the deity of Christ, right? Um, in the second category, you might have things like, like baptism, um, whether or not you think uh, children can be baptized or adults should be baptized, right? Yeah. It's kind of a second level. Third level, I think, is where this falls, 
I can, you, can have, you can have brotherly fellowship across all sorts mm -hmm. of wide ranges of denominations even um, of people who hold different perspectives on the beginning. Um, and so I think that's really important so that when we go out to have fellowship with one another and, and to be the church unified in Christ, we, we don't let something like this divide us. Yeah. So in those conversations to the question you're asking, how do we go about this with, our, with each other is to have such a, the grace and the love and the gentleness that, that should define a Christian yeah. when we enter these kind of conversations. If, if this was a conversation about the deity of Christ, well, then you've got to stand up yeah. and be firm. This is, this is not something we're going to shake on. Mm. But in these kind of conversations, there's room for disagreement. And that's yeah. wonderful. It's actually a gift in yeah. some ways for these conversations to sharpen one another. I think it's important you say that, Joshua, because there is, um, whether it's online or, or wherever, there's a lot of times where people say, if you don't believe this particular view mm -hmm. or, or understanding of the, um, whether it's end times or whatever, some of these other third, third issues, but particularly we're talking about creation. If you don't believe that God created in this specific way, then you probably don't believe in the authority of Scripture, or maybe you got to question your salvation altogether, and you're basically flat out saying rubbish. Not yeah, yeah. absolutely. What would you have to say just about to treat this issue as as the barometer for yeah. for orthodoxy is probably not the best bet. I mean, I think again, at the especially end of the, for you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, well played. I, I I think it's the the doctrine of Scripture that is a more important doctrine yeah, yeah. in this conversation, Absolutely. right? And I think it's asking that question beneath the first question, right? And, yeah. and so rather than just lashing out at people and, and presuming that they hold viewpoints that they don't actually hold, yeah. mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's... it's and I, I hope the introduction of the language of concordism and non-concordism is actually helpful for people. Yeah. Uh, I found it really helpful because I had always had this kind of agnostic bent towards these like age of the earth questions. Yeah. But I know that other people are wired totally different than me. Yes. And yeah. they are like, will not be able to sleep until they thoroughly investigate sure. this kind of an issue. And yeah. I think that the non-concordist viewpoint actually gives a great basis to say, for those who feel that drive and passion to pursue answers to those things, yeah. go and do it. Because yeah. God has created this world and he's made it to be understandable. And so all truth is God's truth. Yeah. And so Christians should be people who are not afraid to, to pursue truth yeah. and see where it leads us. And, uh, and we can be thankful that we have God's word given to us to yeah. be, uh, reveal everything that we need for mm -hmm. life and godliness yeah. and to what it looks like yeah. to, to be a disciple of Jesus. Everything we need to, to know yeah. is, is found in the book. And so for sure. we can go from there. Yeah, you bet. And it doesn't minimize in any way um, the value of having conversations like this, I think. You know, the, the reason that Greg holds to the position that he does and the reason I hold the position that I do is because I actually, we both think that there are meaningful implications for the Christian life mm -hmm. in yeah. that kind of interpretation. Mm -hmm. And so we'll hold to that and we'll defend it, but I won't go so far as saying, Greg, yeah. you're no longer a friend. Yeah, I won't right. do that. But will you invite him to your birthday party? <laughs> I haven't had a birthday party in a long okay. time. I'm telling you that. It will be dinosaur themed. It will be dinosaur themed. Well, oh, wow. let me let me wrap up our conversation so with with a text of scripture. Yeah, please, um, please, redeem because that. we just we need to come back to the Bible. I'm gonna come. Great, the, the Bible dinosaur, has something to say yeah. in the T-Rex suit. You know those like blow ups. <laughs> come to church one day in that. <clears throat> Colossians Sorry. chapter read, one. Read the Bible. Colossians one, starting at verse fifteen, says this: The Son, namely Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Mm -hmm. So regardless of our position of Genesis 1, we're clear on this, that mm -hmm. Christ is the, is the supreme Son of God, mm -hmm. that through him all things were formed, mm -hmm. that the fact that God created the universe at the beginning, mm -hmm. Christ was there mm -hmm. because Christ also being God, mm. created the universe. Mm. And so we declare that together, and it's Him that we worship. It's not an interpretation of Scripture that we worship. Mm. It's Christ, mm. the Son of God. So thanks so much for joining us this week. 